Hello, hello. I'm here with producer Layla Muhammad and Nevada Current reporter April Corbin Gurness. There's a lot going on this week. And today on CityCast Las Vegas, we're talking about a proposed registry for animal abusers, a debate over assisted suicide for terminally ill patients, and President Biden's visit to Las Vegas. It's Friday, March 17th. I'm David Figler, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Layla and April, welcome to CityCast Las Vegas Roundup. Thank you. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, I want to get into some of the stuff that's going on. We're in our legislative session, and so there are going to be laws cropping up, some which we anticipate, some which are a surprise. There's a new proposed law that would create a registry for animal abusers. Layla, what's going on with that one? Yeah, so Assembly Bill 350 was introduced, and it increases the penalty for abusing dogs, cats, and really any animal from a Category D felony to a Category C. And it requires these offenders to be put on a registry. This first proposal was drafted in 2021, and now it's being reintroduced this year into the legislature. I'm wondering, April, what was your initial reaction to this proposal that animal abusers be put on a registry? You know, honestly, my first reaction is that out of everybody that I don't want to live next to, which is like a pretty long list, uh, I don't know that animal abusers, like convicted animal abusers, would be my, like in the top three of people I'd be concerned living about. And I don't know necessarily that we need to single them out sort of scarlet letter style on a registry. Um, it seems like uh, it seems like a weird thing to me to to single that out, like clearly a passion project for animal advocates. And obviously I am I'm not pro animal abuse. None of us are. But I don't know what practical purpose that serves to Nevada. Like if I find out my neighbor is an animal abuser. I can like tell my dog not to go next door. Like he's <laughs> oh, not gonna my. listen. <laughs> April, you're such a lib. Oh, I can't believe you don't want citizens on lists for things that they've done in the past so that they can be singled out and ostracized and told where they can and cannot live. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, April actually made a good point that- She made a lot of good points. Let's, yeah. let's get real. <laughs> that Those this... are all my points too. What does this do for Nevada, right? I mean, the abusers already get fines and penalties. And research from the sex offender registry actually doesn't make it seem like this would decrease reoffending for abusers. Really? The current punitive carceral system doesn't solve societal ills? You're kidding me. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's pretty interesting if you look at the data. I was reading Psychology Today. Looking and their at the research- data... Yeah. I'm sorry. Research, I'm so cynical. <laughs> the research is saying that overwhelmingly the answer is that registries don't really make a difference in reducing the crime. No, but it does make a difference in marginalizing people who have been released from custody so that they can't easily get back into society and then creating a bunch of scenarios where living a life off the grid 
or living a life of um, non-compliant behavior becomes enhanced. So yeah, registries are always going to be a bad idea, especially if people kind of have to go on them uh, without there being a lot of thought put into it. The uh, There's so much to break down here, but you know, I guess the bottom line is that we as a society typically do not like people who abuse animals. There is a lot of research and also thought about the folks who do commit uh, abuse against animals and what that might be a precursor to, right? So it's a concern, obviously, but is the concern best served by putting people's names on a list, by putting people in prison for a longer period of time? And I, I take issue with the word offender being used as a forward word. If you committed an offense, you've offended in the moment, but to call them offenders forever to me is in a way sort of preordaining how we view those citizens and, you know, taking away some of their humanity and taking away the fact that they have the ability to grow or change or to be, dare I say, rehabilitated in ways that are not tied to incarceration. But I mean, what what else do you guys think? Is, is there any justification for paying a little bit more attention to the people who are abusing animals in some way through the criminal justice system? I mean, not that I've seen. <laughs> I mean, I, I think you summed it up pretty well. I mean, I think the argument that I've seen for it is like, you know, people need to know that these people are dangerous and it's like a precursor to other behaviors. But like, so is abusing women. So yeah. is, so are a lot of other things, you yeah. know, the, the, when it comes to the public good, I can, like I said, I can think of several other things that... I would rather know about my neighbors than something else. Like a few weeks ago, there was a story about some woman who lives within a few miles of me because she was arrested near me for her fifth DUI. And it's like, that seems more dangerous to me as somebody who doesn't want my kids run over while they play in the street because somebody's drinking at three in the afternoon. And I'm not saying we need a registry for DUIs, but I'm just saying what makes animal abuse different than that or what is it what does it make it different than rape or sexual assault or violent crime or being attached to you know criminal activity drugs and and gangs or something like when you it's like i mean i don't want to argue a slippery slope but i guess i am you know what i mean where where do you stop if we need the registry on everything i guess is mm -hmm. is the natural uh reaction to that i think yeah and it is costly to maintain these registries in every state, upwards of millions of dollars. So that money could easily go to treatment and other things that you mentioned, April and David. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll see how this goes. I think that when you appeal to the kind of common denominator, we love animals, we hate people who hurt animals, uh, it does have a chance of getting through. And I did see that uh, at least one Democrat had signed off on that. So we'll see where it goes. <laughs> Hey, it's David Figler, and one of my favorite food festivals is coming back to town. It's Vegas Unstripped over at the Palms Hotel on Saturday, May 18th. Over two dozen chefs from some of Las Vegas' most talked-about restaurants creating original, unique menu items they've never made before. Chef creativity at its best. We're talking chefs from Partage, Esther's Kitchen, Milpa, EDO, and more, including this year's James Beard Award finalist Steve Kessler from Aroma. Tickets are $150 and are all inclusive of food and drink, so you don't have to pay for anything once you're inside. No hidden up charges. 
I went last year and it was so crowded in the best possible way. We got one remarkable dish after another and while it was a little indulgent, here's the best part, the net proceeds go to local charities. So head on over to VegasUnstripped.com to get your tickets now. We'll see you there. Well, the state Senate is also debating end-of-life options for terminally ill patients. April, you wrote about this in the Nevada Current. What What's this legislation all about? Yeah, so this is Senate Bill 239. It's sponsored by uh, State Senator Edgar Flores, and it essentially approves uh, physicians, allows physicians to prescribe medications that effectively end somebody's life. And it would be limited to people who are who have been diagnosed with a terminally ill condition and have a prognosis of uh, six months or less of life left. So it's a, a pretty pretty narrow scope of who who's able to take this. It's a practice you probably know as medically assisted suicide or medically assisted death or death with dignity or right to die or uh, end of life options. Uh, or see us suckers. Yeah, Wherever you want to call it, it's it's sort of been rebranded every year, hoping that you know it, it has a more palatable taste for people who are concerned about the emotional weight that comes with talking about this topic. Uh, but this is the fifth or sixth time that this particular piece of legislation or a very similar one to it has been proposed in uh, the state legislature. So we'll see where it goes. But increasingly in other states are adopting this. There's already 10 states and Washington, D.C. who allow this practice. That's up several states from, you know, even a last session or two ago. So it definitely has momentum nationwide. And Nevada's taking it on now to, to talk about whether or not People who are at the end of their life um, should have the ability to decide exactly when that life should end. Well, people who are at the end of their lives can be particularly vulnerable. How, how would this bill protect them from making an irreversible decision that you know potentially benefits someone else? So the bill has some safeguards, they call them, in there, where in order to qualify to receive your end-of-life medication, uh, you have to make a verbal request, you have to wait 15 days, you have to make a second verbal request, you have to uh, make a written request, and that written request has to be witnessed by somebody who is not related to you and not going to benefit from your death, like through your will oh, or uh, you know, yeah. trusts or yeah. anything. And at some point, you also have to meet a second doctor who uh, agrees with the first doctor that your prognosis is six months left to live and that you're of sound mind and capable of making this decision. You have to be able to self-administer it. Uh, so it's, it comes in a pill form and you take it, which means that it's not a syringe that somebody can like slip into you while you're sleeping. Um, it's, it's a pill that you have to self-administer. Uh, and those safeguards are supposed to be designed to make sure that people aren't making immediate rash decisions and also to make sure that it's it's limited to a certain number of people and a very special type of person who needs this. Got it. Layla, what, what are patients and patient advocates saying about this? I think it's about giving the patient the most options, they're saying, and letting them have that option to choose how they want to live the end of their life it, when they have this terminal illness and diagnosis that says they don't have long to live. Um, so while it can be emotionally taxing on the families um, and the patient, I think the thought is that it's even more emotionally taxing to see your loved one or a family member go through 
a slow decline like that. And and something that you pointed out in your article, April, some people who get approved for this choose to not even take the pill. A third of them. But it's about having it's about having that choice. And I wonder empowering, um, empowering. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. April, something else that you pointed out in your article that was really fascinating to me was that they said that no matter how many safeguards you have on this, it could still be pushed on marginalized groups. So I wonder if there's something more to be added in the bill to protect this from being pushed on marginalized groups. Yeah, I mean, the proponents of this type of legislation say that there's no data in the 10 states that already have this to suggest that it is being pushed on marginalized people. Um, Although it's a natural fear that (laughs) given how messed up and how many problems there are within our sort of overall healthcare system, that the, that the fear is understandable, but there's no data to suggest that that's truly happening, right? And, and that would be their argument back to that. But it, it's certainly something everybody should be sort of cognizant and aware of in any situation. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's a complicated thing. Well, let me throw a curveball in, into this conversation. You know, Las Vegas particularly has a unusually high suicide rate. And we spend a lot of time and resource abating or trying to defeat the suicides that occur in our community uh, and, and really focus on that, that it's a mental health disorder to want to kill yourself and that too many people are doing in our community. Does that protection of human life and all our efforts against suicide come into the thought process, what do you think, Layla, when we're talking about this sort of end of life? I think it's maybe dangerous to compare this so closely to suicide. That's even why the language has been changed on this to medically assisted dying or physician assisted dying. Mm -hmm. Because once you get that terminal illness diagnosis, you know, these people, April, you even put in your article, one of the women said that she didn't want to die, but her diagnosis had other plans. So I don't think it's about them, you know, the fight against not wanting them to commit suicide. I think it's the ability for them to have the choice of how they want the end of their life to go so they can have at least some choice to them being comfortable at home or being in a hospital or in a hospice. But it's hard to compare this to suicide in our efforts to reduce suicide rates because this is such a different these people are in such different situations some of them wouldn't think of this as suicide just think of this as choosing a way to decrease their suffering right because living with a terminal illness is is hard or a more humane death so april i I hear what layla's saying but aren't the opponents of this bill really saying it is a sort of slippery slope with with suicide because there are a lot of circumstances where people feel that that's the best option? They do worry about that being, they, they worry about normalizing it, right? So I think, you know, a lot of people understand that if you're terminally ill and you have metastatic cancer that has spread, that a miracle is not coming. And that, you know, if you believe in God, that this is God's plan for you and that death is happening and you are dying, and they worry, like, if we become okay with that, then are we eventually going to be okay? Are we going to push it out to a year left? Or like, you know what I mean? Like, are we going to eventually get to a place where if you have a 
mental health disorder. If you are depressed, severely and chronically depressed for years and years, and you've tried treatment and it doesn't work, should you just be able to end your life? You know, I, I think that they worry about that. They worry about normalizing it and pushing it. And the, the refrain that we kept hearing in this hearing from opponents was death should never be an option. Like, it should never be the goal. They say hospice care is great at, at doing what it does, which is making death more comfortable and uh, for people and sort of easing them into that process, and that that's enough. That the drugs we can give people to mitigate their pain and suffering in their death throes is enough. Or they point to the body knows what it's doing and that those people in pain, as much as it may be awkward for us to see as, as loved ones who are standing next to them on their deathbed is a natural process and that they're not suffering as much as maybe we think they are. Um, so there's certainly an argument to be made for that. Um, but like I said, it, it's complicated. And I think every individual person has a different comfort level in terms of what they would feel is appropriate. One more part of this that I think is important to bring up on the cost part and your question, David, that you brought up about comparing it to suicide, that people often decline life-extending treatment, right? Um, and choose to forego that, and that is deemed fine. I think if we are going to compare this to other options, this could be compared to that option of choosing on their own terms, these patients choosing on their own terms, how they want to live the end of their life. And to bring it full circle to our first conversation, we euthanize our pets all the time because and most of us are comfortable with that because we understand that our pets are in so much pain mm -hmm. and that mm -hmm. we don't want to see them suffer anymore but doing that to your pet and, and I, i'm an animal lover <laughs> i swear you know it's it's easier than doing that to your mom it's easier than doing that to your husband so i think it's a lot more emotionally loaded but if you look at it from a policy perspective and if you try to look at it objectively how is it different and is a medically assisted death for somebody who's clearly dying just humane? Is it just a natural extension of hospice care? Is taking a pill and not forcing your family to see you start to refuse food and start to starve to death and, you know, whittle down to 80 pounds before death and, and forget where you are and be so doped up on morphine that you don't know where you are? Is that a better way out than sitting in a bed, saying goodbye to your loved ones, taking a pill, and then sort of that being it. How much control do we have? But I think there's this greater conversation about how scared we are as a society of death because we just ultimately don't know what's beyond it. That Well, and um, also, you know, oftentimes religious attachments to, to life, uh, all very interesting, especially in a cauldron like Las Vegas where... <laughs> people's uh, chances sometimes run out in a lot of different ways and they find themselves in real dire spots. But at least this one is being debated and we'll see how it comes out in the legislative mix. All right, guys. Well, speaking of politics, I guess we're going to go for the uh, trifecta here. Uh, we had a visit from uh, the, the biggest politician in the land, the president of these United States. All right. Oh, I thought you were going to say Trump. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> well, they're all very, very important people. Uh, Joe Biden making his first visit to Vegas, I think maybe since he won. 
or close. It's been years since we've seen Joe Biden's face out here for, uh, well, you know, Vegas is a honeypot of money. So I think that the first night he was uh, schmoozing with some old school Vegas names that uh, are often affiliated with money giving, Mulaskis and Greenspuns, oh my. But the official event that was reported in the media was a talk that he gave over at UNLV. And the topic was prescription drug prices. Uh, Talks about how he's going to bring them down. Did not mention that his predecessor had kind of also done some work in this area as well as the president, which is kind of interesting. That said, bragging that some of the the, the prices through Medicare and for seniors, et cetera, are going to be coming down, all very, very important. Why he picked this particular topic again for his time in Las Vegas when there might have been some other topics that are a little bit more of interest on the Las Vegas minds, that is something I am curious about too. But I think the thing that everyone's talking about with the Biden visit is the traffic because that's all we really do care about here. So what, how, how is uh, your interactions, my fellow panelists with the Biden traffic again? I don't leave my house, so it did not affect me. Um, It's amateur night out there. (laughs) April stays in. You know what? It's easier. It's easy. I actually do live pretty close to the airport. Uh, so you sort of, I, I see those impacts right away. And this guy, not to question his sanity, but he, no, not to question his care for Nevada, but this guy landed during rush hour. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, really? what up? Like, you really, Ugh. yeah, I, I also <laughs> usually stay at home, but he, on Tuesday was my niece's birthday. So of course I had to drive all the way across town to Centennial. Um, so I ended up, taking some time and went way early around like noon or one to avoid all that traffic because not only is there presidential traffic but the 95 is under construction there's so much construction going on on the freeways right now so i was like let me try to avoid most of that traffic imagine if he landed during drop a can of weekend or whatever that is when they shut down the whole 15 like (laughs) what does it say about our community that you know, the president's coming. Stay inside your house. Lock the doors. Go nowhere near a car. <laughs> so, oh, man. And traffic would have been a really interesting conversation too. transportation dollars, infrastructure, et cetera. But that's not what he talked about. Uh, he talked about prescription drug prices. OK, we're a battleground state. Um, he ostensibly is still running for reelection. He needs Nevada. It's always part of everyone's formula. Uh, was this a smart campaign stop why why do you think april that he picked prescription drugs as the one and only topic that he talked about in public you know i mean i think that and maybe this is a hot take but i don't know <laughs> i think it's true then i mean he didn't come and talk he may have he may have come to nevada and las vegas to talk about an issue but he wasn't talking to the people of Nevada, I think, necessarily, (laughs) that, you know, he was giving a speech that was broadcast, you know, across the country and into clips and things for other. I I don't think that he necessarily was thinking about um, what is most important to Nevada specifically. Healthcare tends to be an important political issue across the nation, especially with certain age demographics and things that are very important. So are you, um, and I'm so going to just ask yeah. you, is, was he just being shitty and giving us a generic talk um, that could have been anywhere? And why would he do that? And is that fair to us? Oh, so many questions. 
Yeah, that's all. Uh, I mean, ultimately, I would say yes. I think that, um, yes, I don't think now in this particular part of the election cycle uh, is a time for targeted approach on certain local issues. Like, we'll see that. Don't worry, in 2024, especially, and even sort of at the end of this year, I'm sure. But I, I don't think that's the time for that. Right now, it's just broad strokes and promoting the Inflation Reduction Act and, and just touting what we've done, which... Unfortunately, Democrats have that. That is the area where they have done the most, which I'm not saying, unfortunately, because that's a bad thing. I'm just saying they haven't been able to deliver on other promises that he could be talking about, like student loans or immigration or housing. Well, he picked you know, a safe things, one. You know? Layla, what, what do you think yeah. were topics that the president of the United States could address that would have been something that mattered more to Las Vegans? Well, I definitely think that this is coming before like a re-election announcement of some sort and that's why this west coast tour uh stayed more broad but i definitely think he could have addressed aviquame right and making that um national monument designation that everyone was hoping for we even talked about it on the podcast that it was coming and he was coming to make that designation and then it seemed like from it seemed like from reports and from even from the of Equal committee's statement that they put out about it that they're still hopeful and he just ran out of time this visit so i mean i think that would have been a local issue that las vegans and nevadans would have appreciated seeing biden come down and make that official designation but I guess it didn't happen this time. Yeah, and let's stay on Aviquame. I, I mean, that seemed to be a very surprising thing to especially the proponents of the designation that they were kind of caught uh, unawares, as they say, that he wasn't going to make that announcement during this trip. And not only did he not make the announcement, uh, at least in public again, April, there was not even a mention of it, like not even a, hey, I'm I, just for you, the folks who thought I was going to do this one thing, I'm still got it on my mind or anything. I mean, it was a very beginning, middle and prescription drug speech. God bless our troops. God bless our, our, our health care providers. God bless the union who seemed to also be in effect uh, in, in the audience, which probably was why that topic got picked, but not even a mention. Why would he not even mention it, April? I mean, it could be strategic, right? I don't have any insight into Biden's administration, unfortunately. But, you know, I, I think it could be because he knows that it is a topic that is so... Um, he knows it's a topic that Nevadans care about and has gotten a lot of attention in Nevada. So if he even mentioned it, a lot of people, a lot of reporters would have led with that. A lot of... Because it's the most local thing. Um, so really, you could argue that he's going to get... He's getting more bang for his buck. We all had to write about prescription drugs and what he said at the UNLV event. And then maybe he'll come back between now and election uh, to, to make the designation officially. My guess is that it's probably not dead and that it's still on the table and still being worked out. I don't know what's holding it up or anything, but I think the generous read would be that he's just going to save that for... Um, a time where it makes more sense. Maybe when he's officially announced his campaign and now and he's doing more targeted things in Nevada, maybe he'll do something a little more pointed at that. But I, I doubt that it's dead. Oh, you know, I'm getting a producer note. Um, looks like Biden might be announcing the designation within the coming days after all. So I don't know. I guess we'll see. I still don't understand why he didn't mention it when he was here, but you know, politics and theater and well, in a lot of ways, Las Vegas, too. 
All right. Hey, um, it's apparently spring. Uh, well, almost spring. It's going to be spring soon. It's close. Well, it's getting there. I got I got my uh, phone on speed dial to Mojave Max. He just hasn't answered. So we'll find out. Uh, y'all got any interesting plans for our fleeting window of opportunity that we call spring here in Las Vegas? Uh, I already said I don't leave my house. Oh, April. No, okay, no, I'm going to. Spring is the one time I'll make the exception because the weather will be beautiful and it'll be biking weather and, you know, enjoy your outdoors while you can. Where do you go? Where Are you going to take the the little ones or? You know, we do, yeah. I mean, obviously Red Rock and that whole area and, and, yeah, just the desert, basically. Just get out of town, drive as far as you can and play around in the dirt. That's Playing (laughs) in the dirt with April. All right. How about you, Layla? (laughs) Well, not to shamelessly plug the podcast, but we did just put out a brunch episode that I'm really excited to check out those places, especially the places that have patios, because now's the time to sit outside before the weather just gets unbearably hot. Um, And also hiking. I want to get a group of people together to go to Gold Strike because it is a group trail. It's a little dangerous. So I want to get a group of people together to go to Gold Strike and hike that trail and go to the hot springs and stuff like that. Just enjoy the outdoors while we can. Hmm. Well, I'm old school. When it comes to uh, the spring window, I'm into the spring cleaning. So I will literally open up the windows. I will crank up, oh, I don't know, some band that's not coming to Las Vegas, which is my thing. That They'll go to our friends in Salt Lake, but they won't come here. I'm talking to you, <laughs> Robert Smith and The Cure. Uh, so I will crank old cure uh, top top level uh, 11 basically and I will go through all my old electronics so I could give them to the blind center I'll go through all my old clothes and so I'm so small I could probably donate those to child Haven I'm gonna figure it out but we're definitely uh, gonna find some sparks of joy by getting rid of things in the house during our little spring spring fever well hey y'all this has been a fun and interesting conversation oh that wacky legislature they're never going to let us down. So, hey, thank you both for joining me. Thanks, David. Thank you. All right, that's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Our lead producer is Sonia Cho Swanson. Our producer is Layla Mohammed. Our newsletter editor is Scott Dickensheets. And our hosts are me, David Figler, and Vogue Robinson. Big fan. Music is by OG Moose, All the Kimonos, and Epidemic Sound. We record this show on the traditional homelands of the Nuuvi, the Southern Paiute people. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Take care, everybody. Quick thing. It's Corbin Gurness. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. And yet my producers completely... Oh, wow. Just throw us under the bus like that, David. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, is she going by Corbin again? Okay, cool, yeah. cool. I don't want people to think like, oh, sure, that marriage didn't last. No, <laughs> it's good. We're still but what about yeah, the babies? No, what I about know, the babies? Man. Yes.